0: Om yogena chittasya padena vacham Malam Sharirasya sya chavaitya karuttam pravaram muninam Patanjalim pranjali In the last class, we were studying the sutras, which deals with the posture, the asana, which is one of the limbs of the eight limbs of yoga. So as we have already uh, described the eight limbs, we have enlisted the eight limbs of yoga as Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. So, this, as we are studying, already we have uh, completed the study of the Yama and the Niyama, the five Yamas, the five Niyamas. And then we have started with our study of the Asana. And in each of the practices, we find that they are actually not sequential. As we have already, been des- already described, that the general notion is that all the asana, all these limbs of yoga are sequential. That we have to practice the ahimsa first, followed by Asteya, Brahmacharya and all those practices one by one. It's not that. All the practices go hand in hand and they are complementary. They complement each other. So even the asana, as we have seen in the last class, is not something merely physical. The 46th sutra of the second chapter, though defines asana as sthiram sukham asanam, It may appear that it actually is speaking of the physical aspect. But if we try to just try to understand the sutra, we will find that the two words actually is representing two aspects of asana. Sthira is the physical aspect. You have to be motionless. Sukham is the psychological aspect. It should be relaxing. It's not only physically relaxing, mentally relaxing. Unless you are mentally relaxed, asana can never be perfected. So motionless and relaxing. As we were giving the example in the last class, that the mind and the body are interrelated. They are reverted. We find in our day-to-day life that when I am restless, when my mind is full of worries, tensions, and concerns, it is almost impossible to sit in one place and meditate or even just to relax. We find that we are almost forced to move around. We'll be pacing up and down the room when we are worried, we are tensed. What it speaks of is body and mind are riveted. When the mind is restless, the body tends to be restless. So in yoga, they have used this riveting in the opposite way. That if you want to calm down your mind, as the body and the mind are riveted, why not take the help of the body to certain extent? At least sit down quietly. Don't move. A little motion of the body is extremely detrimental for our practice in meditation. This we should never take casually. Many won't take uh, this thing very serious and we find a lot of movements are going on when they're trying to meditate. At the beginning, when the mind is not concentrated, it is almost impossible to understand that how the motions hampers our meditation, degenerates our meditation. But those who have already started getting a qualitative meditation, they understand it that a little motion will is immediately as if bring down the mind to some 10, 20 steps down, it will come down immediately, a little motion, because the mind and the body are riveted. Just the way we were giving the example, suppose there is water in a cup, a little motion of the cup will immediately disturb the water. That's how the body and the mind are related. The body is like the cup and the mind is like the water a little movement immediately disturbs the mind it immediately agitates the mind the calmness is gone so in meditation we have to practice to sit quietly at the beginning it's very difficult you will find all sorts of uneasiness of the body it becomes uh something palpably uh Felt when we sit for meditation. We take a resolution, we won't move. The itching will be there, aches will be there. The best way, how to at the beginning to practice meditation, that has been spoken of in the 47th sutra, the next sutra. What it was spoken of, we studied in the last class. Prayatana shaitilya ananta So don't stiffen yourself in the name of being motionless don't stiffen, prayatna shayithilya, that the body should be relaxed. It should be straight, but at the same time relaxed. The spine should be straight, but at the same time it should not be stretched. How to find out that it is not stretched? You should try to observe the weight of the body is not on the spine, it should be on the ribs. At the same time, the spine should be straight. And then you will find that's the position in which you can relax for a long time in that posture without uh, getting stressed or strained. Keeping the spine is straight is very important. Why? Because all the nerve currents of our body, the main passage is through the spine. We find that if the spine is bent, we can never have sublime thoughts. So we should make it a point the spine should be stretched, and it should be motionless. And the next thing is ananta samapatibhyam That all short of disease, as in the last class we were saying, the, what is the common symptom of all the disease? It is the localization of your awareness. When I am healthy, I am not aware of any particular part of my body. The health throbs through the entire body. When I say that I'm diseased, when I feel I'm diseased, when the awareness gets restricted to a particular part of the body, I start saying I have a headache. When I was healthy, I was not aware only of my head. It was throbbing through the entire body. Now it has got localized. I have a headache. I have a heartache. My knees are paining. My stomach is aching. So what has happened? The the more and more the consciousness gets localized. The more you are at this dis- ease. Disease means the ease has gone. Disease. So, similarly, that's why the best way to get perfected in asana, asana siddhi, ananta Samapatibhyam. So, think of the infinite that your body is not the boundary of your existence. You are within, you are without. The best way is that as we were telling, speaking of, to get perfected in asana is to practice mindfulness. If we can uh, collaborate, this mindfulness along with the focused meditation, that type of meditation becomes extremely fruitful. We start with mindfulness. Whenever we sit for meditation, start with mindfulness. What it speaks of? I will be aware of what is going on in my body, in my mind, but I'm detached. Even if I won't react, if there is a pain, uh, I find that the knees have started aching. Observe that pain as if it is not yours. Just try to observe it objectively. How is it possible? That try to forbear that pain without moving let the pain be there. It's not me who is having the pain. The pain is something there. Let me try to observe it without moving. At the beginning, of course, it doesn't speak of ease. It is dis-ease. The ease has gone. But this is the practice which gradually will take you to that Ananta Samapati Bhyad. If I can be objectively observing my pain and suddenly a bird chips suddenly you will find that both are equally objective, when you get perfected in that mindfulness. What has happened? The ego barrier has fallen off. Now, that speaks of ananta samapatibhyam that you are not just limited in the body. Whatever you perceive is something which is a part of yours. So entire existence becomes your body. So with that, the sense of body gradually falls off. After that, you may go for the focused meditation. If you have some object for visualization, you can go for that. But to start with mindfulness actually will help you to have a better qualitative meditation uh, in the next step. So that was spoken of in the 47 Sutra. Prayatna, Saithilya, be relaxed, don't move. And Ananta Samapatipya. Just try to think of infinity. So this is just if you are thinking of the sky, the ocean, this all speaks of infinite expanse. And how to relate with that? That I am, that Sri Ramakrishna says, I am like a fish swimming in that infinite ocean, which has no boundary. Or I'm like a bird flying in the infinite sky, no boundary. All the boundaries has vanished. I am just flying in that expanse of infinite consciousness. So with this, you will find that the ease in meditation is developing. And that's how the 48th sutra spoke of the result which ensues from the perfection in asana. What is that? Tata dvandva ana That all the dhvandhas, the opposite conditions like pleasure and pain, As you have, by observation, you have transcended them, they fall off, they no more disturb you. All the Dvandas in the form of pleasure and pain, they fall off. It's not that you you develop a sort of anesthesia that you don't uh, in any way feel the pain or feel the uh, bliss which ensues from a calm meditation. You enjoy, you enjoy the bliss, you even observe the pain, but you have transcended. It means they are no more a part of your limited body. You're just observing them. And that's how by mindfulness you transcend them. You don't get identified with them. It doesn't speak of anesthesia, that as if I don't observe them at all. Yes, some something like anesthesia do happen, that in a still in the higher state of meditation when you have entered into dharana, dhyana, samadhi, but when I am practicing asana, my meditation is in the formative state, then also I can get rid of the pain, not by being totally unaware of it, but by transcending it through this ananta samapatti And then the asana becomes more and more stable, more and more perfected. And that speaks of asana siddhi. So these are very important. Unless you have ever tried to keep your body motionless during meditation, know it for certain, you can never have qualitative meditation. That so many people complain that in meditation, I never get a good meditation. The basic thing sometimes we don't take care of at all. The body somehow we will find is moving just uh, In 5 minutes, in 10 minutes, without some movement, I cannot stay a little movement. I think it's not going to affect but it affects. That that movements and the breath, the next thing, the pranayama. These two are very important. Unless to a certain extent we have taken care of them, I can never go to the next steps of pratyahara, dharana, dhyana and samadhi. So first, let, let us take care of the pranayama after taking care of the asana. There's the breathing how the breathing should be so 49th sutra speaks of the pranayam what it is tasmin sati tasmin sati swasa praswasayo gati vichedah pranayam so after one has become adept in asana that's what tasmin sati thereafter so you have now perfected in asana you don't move you are relaxed you speaking you are thinking of the infinite and then with that uh, perfection in asana now you start pranayama what is that the practicing the controlling of the motion of the inhalation and the exhalation swasa is the inhalation praswasa is the exhalation so you control the motion of inhalation and the exhalation and that it is what called pranayama Prana is a vital force. Ama means control. So many will be equating the pra- this, your breath with the prana. Actually, breath is not the prana. Breath is the thing which regulates the prana. Prana means fix your vitality. See, in, in uh, our life, without food, you can stay for three weeks. Without water, you can stay for three days. But without breathing, just three minutes, I think it was more than enough. In three minutes, uh, we will find that it is almost impossible to continue with our life, to sustain our life. So that that is why this breath is the most important part of our vital force. All the three are required. Without food, I cannot think of my vital force. But I can continue for three weeks without food. If you are not Uh, getting any food, for three weeks, you can sustain yourself, average, some may sustain more, some a bit less, but three weeks, without water, you will be alive for three days. So that is also a factor, this food, water, both are the thing which is a, a factor for your vitality, for the prana. But the most important is the breath, just it takes three minutes your life will be gone. So that's why this uh, breath is given so much of importance. With the birth, it starts, with the death, it ends. There is no interruption. It's constantly going on. And the more we can have control over it, the more our this vitality, uh, this Prana Shakti, that will be properly regulated. Without regulating it, we can never think of good meditation. It's in you know day-to-day life we find that in in the morning you wake up and you find extremely lethargic. Can you meditate? No. If you find that you're you're extremely energetic, that you cannot sit in one place, like the in the present day, uh, you know the children, the parents are so much this uh, aware not to give them too much of sweet, because it is has been a, a now a established truth that they developed this attention deficiency hyperactivity adhd this uh, all this diseases, hyperactivity disorder uh, this attention deficiency hyperactivity disorder how the same this because of too high calorie food it is affecting the prana you become extremely restless that with that you cannot meditate if you are too lethargic you cannot meditate so for meditation, prana. this prana has to be controlled. It has to be in a state where it enables you to be calm and composed, neither lethargic, in that is the tamas, not too active, that is rajas. It has to be vishuddha sattva, means pure sattva, where the mind has entered a flow, where with any effort, the concentration continues. So that's what the Pranayama speaks of it's not merely the breath. Breath helps in it in uh, attaining that state of prana. So now sometimes we uh, have a confusion with the Hatha Yoga and with the Patanjali Yoga. These are not same. In Hatha Yoga also they speak of this inhalation, exhalation, and suspension of breath. Exhalation is called Rechaka. Inhalation is called Puraka and suspension is called Kumbhaka. Now, in Hatha Yoga, you forcefully, you just uh, take the breath forcefully, try to breath as much, breathe as much as possible, exhale as much as possible and suspension, is Kumbhaka also, there will be some count where you are almost forced, you are asked to keep your breath suspended almost with force. Here, when we are studying Pranayama in Patanjali, know it for certain, it is not Hatha. Hatha means by force, it is not Hatha. It is something which is very gentle and at the same time, deep breathing, gentle breathing. There is no force involved in it. Hatha yoga can be very dangerous. Hatha yoga, at the beginning, it gives a tremendous sense of uh, euphoria. You know why? When by force you are practicing kumbhaka, by force, you are sustaining your breath for a long time after inhalation or after exhalation, suddenly you will find that the mind has become very light. But actually we are harming ourselves. In the long long run, many cases are there where the mental derangement has happened because of this forceful kumbhaka. This kumbhaka is very risky. Why? What happens, you know, the in our entire body, in all the parts, the energy is stored. So even if the food is supply is not there, if uh, food is not going through the blood, and, in the, and the blood is also carrying that saturated oxygen that is not there, the body stores in the form of fat or uh, form of energy to sustain itself for some time. But the brain is the part where no energy is stored. Constantly through the blood, whatever nutrition, whatever oxygen is coming, immediately it is nourished with that. It doesn't store anything. So the moment there is the do Kumbhaka, there is an oxygen deprivation in your brain. And that sedates the brain. Just like, you know, those who have... High diabet- this highly diabetic. For them, there is a condition called hypoglycemia. Kumbhakas results in all like something like hypoglycemia. In hypoglycemia, what happens? Suddenly, those who take insulin, suddenly they will find very light-headed and they may faint. That because as they're taking insulin, sometimes if they have not taken sufficient food, but they have taken the insulin injection, then there is a fall in the blood sugar level. And that when the blood sugar level falls up beyond certain extent, that as the brain doesn't store anything, there's no sugar, which the blood is carrying and the brain has no nourishment. And that makes you lightheaded and it can even faint. Here also, because of the oxygen deprivation, the same lightheadedness you feel that may be euphoric because our mind is so restless. Suddenly, forcefully you have stopped the mind to work naturally. It gives a very euphoric sensation or oh, that all the tensions have vanished. But gradually we are depriving the brain for oxygen. It is starving. And that gradually kills your all the, the brain cells. And in the long run, it can result in your this so-called the derangement of your this brain, the nervous system. So we have found that if, there are many such cases where this uh, because of Hatha Yoga, this derangement uh, happens. But what the pranayama which has been spoken of here, though it speaks of swasa, prasaya, grati, vichyada, It may give us a feeling that here also they're speaking of kumbhaka. It's actually this gati vichheda. Interruption after the inhalation exhalation is not speaking of kumbhaka. It's something natural. If you are breathing naturally, you will find between each and every inhalation and exhalation, there is an interruption. Slowly, gently, you take a deep breath breath, and you will find there is a very small interruption. This Gati Vicheda speaks of that. And again, you exhale. Before you breathe in, there's a natural interruption between that exhalation and the next inhalation. So, here, when they're speaking of this swasa, prasvasaya, Gati Vicheda, swasa, Gati Vicheda, prasvasaya, Gati vichyada, Is this actually is not the kumbhaka. This swasa, inhalation, followed by that small. Natural interruption is one pranayama. Praswas exhalation followed by that natural interruption is another pranayama. So, this is what has been spoken of in this sutra. So, when I am practicing pranayama, as we told, all the practices are complementary. Another thing has to be kept in mind that if you are very restless, Someone told with pranayama, I can control my mind. I can calm down my mind. Never practice pranayama when you are extremely restless. That's why during asana, we spoke of objective mindfulness. With the mindfulness, to a certain extent, I have already calmed down my mind. You have to calm down your mind through objective mindfulness or contemplation on God or the just, uh, meditating on the luminosity of your heart, whatever maybe your practice of meditation, you have to calm down your mind to a certain extent. Keep your posture still and relaxed. So the mind, the body both has been taken care of. Now go for this slow, deep inhalation, followed by that small interruption, and again, exhale with a small interruption. This is the pranayama, which has been spoken of in this sutra, when they are defining pranayama. Now, they will go in a bit details in the 50th Sutra, that what this actual practice is. Vaihabhyantara, the 50th Sutra of the second chapter. Vaihabhyantara sthamma vritti desha, kala, sankhyabhi, paridrishta, dhirgha, sukshma. So there are three types of pranayama, as has been spoken of in Patanjali Yoga Sutra. One is vritti. One is Abhyantara Vritti and other is the Stambha Vritti. Stambha vritti. The word Vritti is like Madhadipika In Sanskrit, sometimes to make the sutra compact, they won't repeat some word. The vritti, they call this Madhadipika That's In the villages, you will find that uh, between two rooms, there is a small uh, what is an opening, a small slit between the two rooms where they keep a lamp. So that's the economy, uh, the practice of the economy of the fuel. That I, I need not burn too much of fuel. What I do, there's a small slit between the two rooms. In that, I keep the lamp which lights both the rooms. So when they are composing the sutras, they use many such words, many such syllables as the Madhya that one word actually has to be connected with so many other words. That way I don't repeat it and the sutra becomes compact. You should remember when there was no script, these all had to be memorized. These were like notes. So uh, the, the shorter it is, the easier it is to memorize and keep it in your memory. So that's why the word vritti has been used once, but it has to be connected with bhaiya, abhyantara and Stamba. And that's how the three types of pranama has been spoken of. Vayavritti, external operation means I exhale, followed by that natural interruption. That is one vayavritti. Abhyantaravritti, internal operation. How I breathe in, followed by that natural interruption, suspension. That is abhyantaravritti. And what is the stambhavritti? Now this is the thing which we have to understand. That stambha. It's as if speaks of motionlessness, as if suspension. But this suspension is not forceful. Now, when I am breathing very shallow, you will find the interruption is the natural interruption is very small. But if I am breathing deep, very deep, and what is a regular breathing? You breathe deeply, then the interruption is gets prolonged. Naturally, the interruption will get prolonged, not forceful. If you deep breathe, uh, breathe very deeply, and then you will find that there, this uh, stambha, motionless state, is getting prolonged. So, here this stambha speaks of that regular deep breathing. You're breathing, and then if you are breathing in, it's not shallow, it's deep, then the suspension becomes a bit prolonged. That sus- that prolonged suspension is the stambha which has been spoken of here. So these three types of Britti, these again, when observed, you have to observe, you have to be very uh, mindful when you are practicing this Pranayama. It's not that I do it mechanically. When you're breathing in constantly, just be focused on your breath. So this Paridrishti, it has to be observed and not only observed, observe, This not the breath only which you are observing, that what is going, that the air which is going through your nose, it has to be observed in the space, means in your chest, that how the chest is expanding, that speaks of this desha, time, that how long you are breathing in, naturally, not forcefully, that that how your chest is expanding, you have to be mindful of that, what drishta means to be mindful, how the air is filling your lungs, for how long it is happening, and if mentally you keep a number, this count, that speaks of the Sankhya. The time is, becomes very easy to uh, calculate the time if you are keeping a Sankhya. So that, that's how with the count, you're breathing in. It can be done instead of doing with a mechanical count, you may just go on repeating Om. So that helps to calm down the mind more easily. That how many times you can repeat Om while breathing in, followed by that natural suspension, breath out, natural suspension. So these are the three types of pranayama which I've spoken of: Bhaiya, vritti exhale. This and then there is a little suspension. That is one pranayama. Breathe in. there is a little suspension. That is another pranayama. As your breath, this breathing in and breathing out gradually increases the capacity of your lungs. At the very beginning, if you uh, when you first started this practicing pranayama. The capacity of the lungs at the very beginning may, may not be uh, um, that profound, that it, it will be something very less. Through the practice you will find the capacity of the lungs is increasing and as it increases the stambavritti also goes on increasing. But in the 51st Sutra they will speak of another, the fourth type of pranayama. These are very imp- important you have to because this has something to do with the calming of the mind. This has, this has, this, these are the pranayama which doesn't speak of the therapeutic effect of it. It actually has to do with the meditation. So for that, the calming of the mind is very important. The fourth type of meditation, has uh, uh, pranayama has been spoken of in the 51st sutra. Let us read it and then in all, all the pranayama, how it gradually evolves that we will try to understand. What is the 51st sutra speaking? The fourth type of pranayama transcends, akshepi means transcends the external and the internal. What it speaks of? Now, when I'm starting pranayama, you'll find that gradually your lung capacity is increasing and with that, the sthambha is naturally increasing. But as your mind calms down, very interesting thing, that at the beginning, I have to breathe in for quite a long time to have particular uh, a, a certain span of stambha. This my breath will be my breath will be suspended, say for five seconds or ten seconds after breathing in for 20 seconds. But as I become more and more adept in pranayama, which the pranayama will help to calm down my mind, then what happens? there is something called basal metabolic rate bmr that our all the you know that all the bodies that whatever food we take some people find that are having a tendency to become very fat though they take little food they easily gain weight some may take a lot of food and you will find that the body weight is not increasing the basic factor is bmr basal metabolic rate What's that speaks of that when I am not doing any activity, just simply lying down. Still, I am expending some energy. Why? Just to continue with my breathing, to continue with all the biological activities that are going on, the heartbeat, the digestion, the assimilation, all those process that is going on. Even when I'm not doing any activity, the body needs some basic amount of energy for that that metabolism has to go on so that without any activity that without any so-called external activity. The minimum amount of energy that is required to sustain your body, that is the BMR. Now for some person, it is high. For some, it is low. And it has something again to do with the calmness of your mind. If your mind is very agitated, your BMR is going to be high. If your mind is very calm, it is going to be very low. That's why you will find, sometimes you will find that the sadhus, the monks, tend to be a bit pulpy, a bit fatty. And many may think that they, ha- they're just, uh, real, they're, 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 they have a lot of food. Actually, it's not the fact. What has happened that because of the regular practice of meditation, the BMR has fallen, that even with less amount of food, they can sustain themselves. The more the BMR falls, then what happens even this little food that gets stored in your body, you're not expending. Why we are speaking of here? this that at the when you're practicing pranam at the beginning, the suspension speaks of the time when you are not oxygenating your body and your brain, you're suspended. So that for that to suspend my breath for some time, I should have taken the breath for quite a long time, then I can sustain for some time. But when your BMR falls, then what happens, you need not have to breathe in that much, even with a little breath, as your BMR has fallen, you can continue with the suspension for longer time. I think uh, this is clear to you that when my BMR falls, this basal metabolic rate falls, even with a little breath, I can sustain for longer time. Previously for sustaining 10 seconds, I had to breathe in 20 seconds. Now for just with 10 seconds, breathe in, I can still continue with my suspension for 10 seconds. So what happens? With the pranayama, as your mind gets more and more calmed down, as your BMR goes reducing, this sus- the state of suspension is no more dependent on breathing in and breathing out. It automatically goes on elongating. It goes on; its lapse becomes more and more. So this natural way of kumbhaka, just see, it is not forceful. So gradually, gradually by pranayama, first, at the first you be, began with what? Deep breath in, and then you are observing that I shouldn't be forcing myself. Naturally, it should be sustained for some time, and then you exhale. Again, you sustain for some time naturally in When you continue with the full observation, by observing, by being mindful of it, it ti- we will find that what is happening, that your suspension is becoming bigger and bigger, and you are, Inhalation and exhalation is becoming subtler and subtler. So there's a natural suspension, which is be as if transcending the breathing in and breathing out. So this is the chaturtha. The more you practice pranayama, the more the mind calms down, the more the body is still not agitated, the more this state of suspension prolongs, And it as if is no more dependent on inhalation and exhalation. This is the fourth type of pranayama. And the more it happens, the more your mind gets concentrated. But again and again, we should say it should happen naturally. Many confuse it with the hatha yoga. In hatha yoga, we do it forcefully. Here there is no force. In hatha yoga, they will uh, roll the tongue in the opposite direction and uh, you know, where uh, the larynx through which your breath is going on, that path is totally closed. So that breath, you know, that even when you're feeling like breathing, and naturally, your, what you say that the lungs expand to take in the breath, but the, you have forced the tongue, in, you know, you have rolled it and kept it in such a way, the breath cannot go in. It is a forceful way. It is not in any way you're forcing. It is happening naturally. And the more it naturally happens, the more it has to do with the mind. The mind gets calm and more and more calm. Actually, it's just the opposite. The more the mind gets calm, the more your breath gets suspended. You will find that even in your day-to-day activities, when you get extremely focused, your breath becomes something very subtle. And that the breathless state, you as if hold on to your breath without breathing in or without breathing out for longer time. And that also unknowingly. It happens when suddenly we are wonder struck, when we get focused, when some uh, uh, I'm observing something very intently, and when the breath gets automatically uh, as if sustained. So, that's automatic sustent- as a, What you say, this suspension of the breath is what has been spoken of as the fourth type of prana. So, when thus you get established in pranayama. Then what happens? What's the result? That has been spoken of in the 52nd Sutra. Tata kshiyate prakasha avaranam. The well over the manifestation of the knowledge is thinned. You find your mind automatically is in a blissful state. It has entered into a state of flow. And your meditation, uh, your mind is neither getting lethargic nor it is becoming restless. It has as if entered into a flow. So the real paradigm pr- what happens, the more and more the breath becomes subtle, the more the mind gets calm and focused, the more the distracting thought waves that will be attenuated, that speaks of rajas, eliminating the rajas, the more the ignorance in the form of rajas and tamas falls off. The lethargy is gone, restlessness is gone, tamas is gone, rajas is gone. And the mind naturally is focused. You are not. You don't have to force your mind to keep focused. It has entered into a flow. It is naturally in, just holding to the object of your meditation. So this speaks of the Vishuddha Sattva state, where all the dross in the form of Rajas and Tamas has fallen off. So with the Pranayama, your mind, that's why you will find even Shankaracharya in his commentary speaking of Nari Shuddhi. So this through pranayama you have to get rid of the dross so that your mind becomes alert but at the same time is calm. This means it is not lethargic nor restless. It is just alert and it remains focused It is object of meditation. That's the state of Vishuddha Sattva and that also is happening without any force. You don't have to use your willpower to understand the Vishuddha Sattva state. That when you are thinking of your loved one, the mother is thinking of the child. There's no effort in it. It happens spontaneously. The love, when the love factor is there, when the devotion is there, your object of meditation becomes, the focus on the object of meditation becomes spontaneous. And that's what speaks of the state of Vishuddha Sattva. So it remains in your mind like a flow. And it has, how it you have achieved? Through the pranayama. Asana followed by pranayama. And this is what speaking of the result which uh, ensues from perfection in pranayama. That all the, and that's the drossness of your mind falls off. That the kshyate, means attenuated, thinned, something becomes feeble. What? Prakasha avaranam. That the mind has the natural capacity to be in a state of flow. It is a rajas and the tamas in the form of dross, which doesn't allow us. You get rid of that. You have actually washed the mind. And now it has entered into a state of flow, which is ensued because of perfection in pranayama. After describing this, now we will enter into the next step of yoga. And that is uh, the pratyaksha. Of course, yeah, there's another sutra which speaks of the attainment in pranayama, uh, the 53rd, still continuing with the pranayama, dharana sutra, yagyata, manasa. You know that the, after uh, pratyahara, there is, the next step of um, this yoga is dharana. So to get the capability to est- remain established in the state of dharana, that happens through pranayama, Dharana sucha yajyata manasa. After the covering is removed through pranayama, one is able to concentrate the mind. When the mind has entered into the state of flow, it is no more getting disturbed. So it has entered into a state of that dharana. So that's what ensues from uh, this practice of pranayama. So these all practices are important. when uh, If we really want to have qualitative meditation, we shouldn't try to just think of concentrating them We sit and most probably I am an initiated and I have a mantra and just immediately I just sit down and start with repeating the mantra and I think that my mind should get focused. It never happens. If we are meditating for half an hour, know it for certain, 10 to 15 minutes is just the preparation and after that another 15 minutes you are meditating. 15 minutes preparation where you have taken care of your asana, you have taken care of your breath. And that for our getting perfection in asana, you have already practiced mindfulness. You have been you're aware of and that mindfulness is at the beginning for your entire bodily feelings, and then that mindfulness goes to your breath. And then gradually, when you find your mind has calmed down, body is relaxed. Now you can start with the dharana. And the pratyahara speaks of withdrawing the mind. Now you can really withdraw the mind and Focus your mind on the desired object. So, 54th Sutra will speak of Pratyahara. What is Pratyahara? What is Pratyahara? Swa, swa, vishaya, Asamprayoge. chittaswa, swarupa anukara, eva, indriyana pratyahara. So, very poetic way they're describing the Pratyahara. Swa, swa, vishaya, asamprayoge. Our Indriyas are constantly engaged with the objects of its perception. The eyes are always busy seeing, ears hearing, skin touch, nose smell, and the tongue to test. So, I am not forcing them. Pratyara, this Pratyahara doesn't mean to just to force them uh, from the object, to force to force my uh, this all the Indriyas uh, to get detached from the object of my senses. No. So as Sri Rama's, uh, this pratyah, to understand Pratyahara, the best way is to uh, take the help of Ramakrishna's example. The more you go towards the east, the west automatically falls behind. The more the mind gets concentrated to its desired object of meditation, the other thing starts falling off. That is the Pratyahara. You get detached from the Indriyas. Indriyana. All the senses become as if like the mind. When your mind is calm, the Indriyas has also become calm. So that's why they are both of same nature. Very nice example has been given by Vyasa in the commentary. So the mind is like the mother bee and other senses are the the entire, this army of bees. So when the queen bee, when the queen bee, the mind, the queen bee is at rest, the entire army also will be at rest. When she moves, the entire army of bees also will move with her. So if you can calm down the mind, the senses automatically fall off from the object of perception. So this is the the, uh, example which uh, Vyasa is resorting to, while explaining this Sutra. That the mind like the queen bee, when it has become when it is resting, the senses also take its nature. They also start resting. So chittaswa swarupa anukara. Chittaswarupa. There's the Swarupa Chitta is calm when you have got to a certain extent adept in meditation. Anukara, the other senses starts now imitating that chitta. That by how? By becoming calm. They are no more engaged on that constant engagement with the sense organs. So that's how the swaswa vishaya asamprayoga detachment happens, not forcefully, that my I first have calmed down my chitta with the pranayama, with the asana, as we have already described. And as a result, when the mind is calm, the, all the indriyas automatically become calm because the mind is like the queen bee, the other bee are bound to follow what the queen bee is doing. If she is resting, the other souls resting. And this is the Pratyahara. So this, all these definitions are important. Why it is important? Because without uh, just um, going to the definition, if we just take the term, Pratyahara means withdrawal. And then what we will think throughout our life to force fully withdraw. And that actually speaks of harming our psyche. You go to the psychologist, they always say don't suppress. Yes, suppressing is bad. In spirituality, we never speak of suppressing, we speak of sublimating, that I have something to meditate upon. What's the difference between suppression and sublimation? Because something the society doesn't accept, but my impulses are forcing me to do something with the society won't approve. So now I forcefully try to stop my Indriyas. That speaks of suppression. That can result in mental derangement. But when I'm having a higher ideal, for that, I am uh, withdrawing my senses. There is no chance of mental derangement. It actually helps in to have a more integrated psyche. You can understand even with the common example that that is that the marshmallow experiment we have uh, we so many times have described. The child who has somehow been able to. Uh, or uh, what you the delay their gratification—that the marshmallow which was in the front of them—that psychologist told them that if you don't take it, if you don't, if I know you will relish it, but don't take it immediately. Wait for ten minutes. I will give you the second one. Most of the children fail. A few succeed. Why they succeed? It's not that because they have a tremendous willpower not to not to eat the marshmallow which is in front of them. It is because constantly in their mind that idea is there. I have to just wait, I will get, I I will have a greater gain. The second one is waiting for me. So that's the thing which enables them to resist from the temptation. So it's not just simply uh, forcefully stopping it. To give an example, this marshmallow experiment is very interesting. It has Now, when so many uh, layers of extension has happened on that experiment, you know, now there are few children who has that capacity of that long, uh, what you say that not not to be myopic, to have a, uh, this what you say that distant vision. So uh, they can delay their gratification. But the one who cannot, how to develop that capacity? is it something that we are uh, that the one the, the who cannot delay their gratification there is uh, no way to train their mind can we train the mind so there are a lot of experiments on how we can train but i will just speak of one experiment very interesting that has something to do with the pratyahara you know when the marshmallow was kept and the children were asked not to take it so that if they really want the second one to wait for some time Till the psychologist come back and give him the second marshmallow now through a surveillance camera it has been found a very interesting thing that one girl, girl to distract her mind from the marshmallow she turned she to just turned uh, on the opposite direction she turned the chair tried to not to look at it still she was uh, tempted she started pulling her hair so that the pain can make her forget about the marshmallow so all those things she was resorting to, but still at last she failed. All the physical means she resorted to. She was not. She was trying not to look at it. She was uh, hurting herself so that the distraction may be there from the thing which is luring her. Still, she found that she cannot uh, desist from having it. And then the psychologist came and gave her a suggestion. What's the suggestion? So this is the marshmallow in front of you. Now visualize, what's the visualization? That this is actually not the real marshmallow. That's, this table is just a frame and it is just the picture. Try to visualize that. Very interesting, the girl in the second attempt succeeded. The psychologist asked them, "Then how come you didn't eat the marshmallow? And the simple answer was, can you eat a picture? Can I eat a picture? Means what happened That the visualization, see all those physical things, couldn't help. The moment the child was asked to visualize, immediately it succeeded. So, this is a very interesting thing. So, this, if we, that the child could, when the, ch- the child has such a simple mind, when you ask them to visualize that uh, this marshmallow is just a picture, it does it. But the script, we go on reading scripture where it constantly says this entire world is a projection of the mind. It's not real. It's not the way we are seeing. But somehow we don't have that as simple mind as the child. We cannot see it as a picture. If we could have seen it as a picture, just a mere projection, which has no reality, it's just a virtual reality, pratyahara happens automatically. So if for like the child, we also have to imagine the entire creation is as if a framework of illusion. It's just a mere projection. The senses are making me to see it as a real way. It as such has no reality. It is a flow. It's nothing permanent. And that also it's not uh, having any tangible reality. The more we can picture it in our mind, the more pratyahara becomes natural. So that's why this Chittasva Swarupa Anukara is very important. If you just take care of this first portion, Swasva Vishaya Asampra Yoga, then that fix of speaks of forcefully subjugating. That's why the, all the sutra has to be taken in, in its entirety. That uh, Ramakrishna's story. This uh, in reading the sutras, the stories have become very important. The Ramakrishna story of these two. Uh, what do you say that mm, mm, uh, this uh, um, and this uh, two friends who b- both were. Actually, weavers. The two weavers story is very important, significant. That what happens in our spiritual life when I'm reading the scripture, we are so biased. Only those things which I find amiable to my uh, way of life, I take that, select it out, and remaining is never in my notice. I never notice that. And that's how my vision being biased, it my practice becomes one-sided. It doesn't, I do not take the entire picture into uh, consideration. And then that's why the practicing becomes incomplete. That is the story of the two weavers is so nice of in, the, in the, uh, Ramakrishna's parable, that one weaver visited the other weaver after a long time, they're friends. And the host was very happy seeing the guest weaver. Uh, the guest was welcomed and the host, uh, she was weaving. Actually, She had a lot of these cotton balls, various color cotton balls uh, in her front and she was weaving and now she left the weaving and asked the guest to wait so that she can go and bring some refreshment. After all, she came out first after such a long time. When the refreshments were brought. Now this, the host, she found one of the thread ball is missing. Now she understood what has happened. The other, the guest is also a weaver. She got lured seeing one cotton ball, one thread ball uh, of very nice color. She somehow couldn't resist herself. She stole it, now where to hide? She had kept it under her armpit. So while she was uh, taking uh, the refreshment was having the refreshment, the host understood that it is under the armpit Now how to get it back. After it's very expensive one, how to get it back? So she planned that I cannot simply ask her that give it back to me. It will be an insult to her. So let me just think of a plan. So she told me, "After such a long time, you visited. I am so ecstatic. I'm feeling so happy. I'm feeling like dancing. Why not we dance together?" Now the guest couldn't deny. She had to agree to the host's request. So after the refreshment. Now they both stood up and they started dancing. Now, the host, she was dancing with both the hands free, with both the arms oppressed. But the guest cannot do that because she has already pressed one thread ball under one of her armpits. So she, with one arm oppressed, she was dancing. Then the host asked, Is this the way to dance? How queer way you are dancing! It's so queer. It looks something funny see how freely I'm dancing, dance like me. And immediately the guest replied, I cannot. I do not know how to dance with both the hands up pressed. This is how I know to dance. So this is the story which Sri Ramakrishna says that all our biases doesn't allow us to dance freely. So we keep something under our armpit and that makes us one-sided, biased. So that happens when we are studying the scripture. We take a part of it, the remaining we forget. We never give importance to it and then the practice becomes totally distorted. So that's why these Shutras, each and every word is very important. If you just read Swasva-Vishaya-Sampra-Yoga, it speaks off subjugation, immediately connected with the next Chittasva-Swarupa-Anukara-iva-Indriyana. Just as the mind has become calm, similarly the Indriyas has become calm. So first, the calmness of the mind is important. With that, the Indriyas falls off automatically. It speaks of sublimation. And that is Pratyahara. So this Pratyahara, uh, we will describe a little more. We will take a few more examples. It's something very important. Like, you know, some those who have some mental problem, like schizophrenia. For them, we find they, are, they automatically have Pratyahara. They are in their own world the senses uh, no more disturb them. Are they practicing Pratyahara? The question then comes. Those And when you are very much hooked to watching television or you forget food, everything, are you practicing Pratyahara? So those questions come. So what the real Pratyahara is. So that again we will take up in the next class uh, and uh, before uh, this um, uh, and then Before we take up the next practices, we will dwell with the the practice of the Pratyahara a little more to understand it in its correct perspective before we proceed for the next limbs of the yoga. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.